a trigger can cause like, you know, an emotional reaction, like, and it doesn't feel good. And we, we might feel like raging or we might feel like crying or feeling helpless, but those feelings are actually trying to tell us something. And so when you have those strong emotional reaction, it pays off to, to pay attention to like, okay, what, why is this upsetting me so much? And usually there is a reason. Deep balance song. I know you're a determined person on the lookout for ways to live a more fulfilling and balanced life, but you're busy. And if we're being honest, that busyness often comes at the expense of your priorities. The Balance Theory podcast is made to teach busy bees just like you how to find and own your own definition of balance so that you can become unapologetic in how you choose to spend your time. I'm your host, Erica, and together let's find your unique balance. All right, Balancers, today's guest is a New York Times bestselling author of multiple titles with her latest book being titled Soul Shift, The Weary Human's Guide to Getting Unstuck and Reclaiming Your Path to Joy, a topic and there's so many nuggets just in that title that I'm so excited to dive into today. She is a certified special education teacher whose personal strategies are universal invitations to embrace life with urgency and cultivate connection despite the distractions of our culture. She also has a blog which has been a source of inspiration to millions and it's my absolute pleasure to welcome Rachel Stafford to the show today. Rachel, a warm welcome. Oh, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Very happy to have you here. Uh, amongst, I guess, all the bits and pieces that you do, tell me a little bit more about what uh, being a certified special education teacher means. Uh, is that something you're still doing today? And I guess, what does that look like day to day for you? Sure. Um, so I, when I got out of college, I was trained to be just a regular elementary school teacher. And I noticed that when I would go to visit classrooms and I was being trained, I really was gravitating toward the kids who were kind of pulled off to the side. And that really pained me. (laughs) And I realized like I was drawn to the kids who kind of were being excluded. And I wanted to know why and what I could do to help them connect. Um, So that was kind of like where this whole theme of human connection and how that helps us thrive, that that was planted, um, you know, 20 years ago. And so I ended up getting certified, which means like getting another degree um, as someone who could work with kids that had behavioral issues. And that's what I did for about 15 years before I started writing. And so I feel like the work that I did with kids who had behavioral issues and a lot of people had kind of given up on them. I feel like that has influenced my work when I help people try to create healthy habits to have more connection, more joy, more curiosity. Um, So I think it was kind of like a a way to prepare me for what I do now. Um, I don't practice um, teaching special ed kids right now, but it may be something that I'll get back to. Yeah, that's awesome. It's always so cool to hear someone's transition from where they've started and where that kind of pivoted them into. Because for a lot of people listening, they'll be quite still early on in their careers and they may have this feeling of like, I don't know if this is the thing I want to do forever, but then it always kind of just leads you onto the next step. And it just, you know, when you kind of get to that next step, it all makes sense. But at the time, sometimes you're just 
going through the motion. So I always love hearing, I guess, people's stories. So if we dive into a little bit more about the work you're doing right now, I know one of the big things that you speak about, uh, write about is emotional triggers. Now, for me, I personally find this this area really, really interesting because when we think about a trigger, right, anything that just triggers us or makes us feel super emotional that we recognize as either an ongoing pattern or something that's recurring. Mm -hmm. What I find really interesting is there'll be a lot of people in one camp who will have this sort of victim mentality, right? And they'll be looking outward and blaming things around them for these types of triggers. Then there's this other view, which really looks to our own limiting beliefs, our own core beliefs as the source of a lot of these triggers. And and the reason I love this whole conversation and, and diving deep into this stuff is because it takes you from being a victim to actually being in control of your circumstances in in control of your situation and actually then getting on top of these things that we sometimes feel a little bit of a victim to. So I guess I want to understand first and foremost, in your opinion, in your experience, how can we actually take note of our emotional triggers? Like how do we distinguish when, you know, it's something that we're just genuinely frustrated with or there's a difficulty or like, you know, what actually defines a trigger? Like how do we know that something is an emotional trigger for us? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Well, For me and the people that I work with in my workshops and courses, we kind of realize there's a pattern to a reaction. Usually it's kind of an over-the-top reaction to something that we notice. Like, So a lot of my work is just on becoming aware of what types of situations or conversations or even people that you encounter that create these uncomfortable feelings. And what I try to teach people is, is not to push those uncomfortable feelings away because a trigger can cause like, you know, an emotional reaction, like, and it doesn't feel good. And we, we might feel like raging or we might feel like crying or, or feeling helpless, but those feelings are actually trying to tell us something. And so when you have those strong emotional reaction, it pays off to, to pay attention to like, okay, what, why is this upsetting me so much? And usually there is a reason now figuring out what that is. Um, it kind of helps me to put this in context where I've realized, so I'm a very driven person and probably a lot like some of the people that are listening, you know, I I really set myself to a high standards, especially when I'm working on a project or I'm going to turn something in that's going to be evaluated. And so sometimes I'll, I'll find myself saying, this isn't good enough. This needs to be perfect. Um, I'm going to disappoint people. And I notice when those feelings are coming up in my body, especially if I'm meeting to work to, to meet a deadline, I'll, I need to just stop and say, what's going on here? And I, I think that so much of my early years, probably a lot like people who are listening, we were given accolades for performing, just very high performance, being very driven. And, you know, someone would pat us on the head and say, wow, you're such a hard worker, or you did this so perfectly. And so then we're conditioned to believe that's what makes us worthy. And so as I've gone through my life, realizing when I put that kind of pressure on myself, when I start saying, this is not good enough, I'm only sabotaging my own creativity and my own ability to to really share my gifts. 
And so number one, I just think if we, if we start being aware of when those feelings are coming up and saying, what's happening here? And I love to journal. I love to write things down. Sometimes I can't figure it out, but I can say, this is what I was doing when I started feeling stuck or when I started feeling frustrated. And then to be able to go back and see the patterns can be very enlightening. Mm, I think that's a, a really good tip because it's one thing to kind of journal what's in your mind to in the moment deal with it, right? Like create that space between you and the thoughts, but to actually use it as an ongoing tool to mm-hmm. reflect on the similarities of either the people you're with, the conversations you're having, uh, whatever your circumstances are actually helps piece together this larger narrative of what is actually going on. So often, I mean, on the podcast, we've spoken about using things like journaling or brain dumping or just, you know, just giving the thoughts space as a tool for in the moment to kind of help you deal with the thoughts and create, you know, like I said, a bit of distance. But but I think that's really interesting suggestion to use it uh, because often these things aren't just one off. Often whatever the trigger is, whatever those emotions that are coming up, generally are a part of a larger belief that's actually Uh deep rooted within us. And what I've found, and and it's quite funny that you brought up the I'm not good enough or this isn't good enough as the belief you've, uh, you know, had personal experience in because I can definitely throw my hand up and say that's one I struggle with too. And it's for exactly the same reasons. You know, we've grown up being congratulated or rewarded based off our output and therefore we become conditioned to feel that our worth is dependent on our output. So when we're doing all these things, and sometimes, you know, I mean, when you work for, especially like in an organization or for somebody else, it's it's not realistic for your boss or your manager for everything you do to pat you on the back. It's almost like it's part of your job. You just have to do it. Yeah. But sometimes we feel like we're not seen or things go unnoticed because we're not getting that validation. And it's such a warped I guess, byproduct of the way we're raised. And I mean, if you layer that on top, you've got school and uni, which which kind of gets you through that trajectory, right? But then if yeah. you had parents maybe or friends or key people in your life who then also gave you the validation in the same way, and maybe not necessarily from, from a bad place, but that was just how they raised you, giving you that validation for your output, then you're kind of, you know, unleash into this world as an adult, expecting that from the world and feeling disappointed and disheartened when you don't get that, right? So this is like really interesting, right? So this is how we can take note of our emotional triggers. And, you know, your suggestion I love to journal over a long period of time so you can start realizing the commonalities. How do we string that together and then go, okay, this is the core belief, this is the limiting belief that I'm struggling with? Mm -hmm. Like, do you, are there like a top few limiting beliefs that you feel most people will fall into that category of this is what they're feeling? Uh, do, do you feel it's quite individualized? Like how can we, just to give the listeners some really practical tips from, you know, journaling for a few situations, how do we then get to, okay, this is a limiting belief if it's not apparent straight away? So one of the most powerful exercises that I do um, in my workshops when I'm in person with people, which can be painful, but very freeing regarding limiting beliefs. And I'll ask the participants, is there one self-limiting, the critical statement that you often use? And I definitely hear a lot of the one that I mentioned, I'm not enough. I also will hear in the work for people in the workplace, I don't belong. People don't like me. And that really affects them going to work and showing up. A lot of people talk about 
I hate my body. That one comes up a lot. I would say the fourth one would probably be, I'm so unmotivated. And I like to walk people through the I'm so unmotivated because I think like what we were talking about where we are conditioned to perform and that our outcome is what our worth is based on. So when we do feel tired, because we're humans, we're not machines. So we might have a down day and we might say, I'm so unmotivated, which is a which is a criticism. Instead of saying something compassionate to ourselves, we're saying basically there's something wrong with you. So what I like to walk people through, and there's actually research on this, Jason Mosier studies how we talk to ourselves. And if we talk to ourselves using I statements, so I have the the attendees write down their self-limiting beliefs. So Mine would be, I'm so unmotivated. And then Jason Mosier says, when we change that to second person, so then right next to that, I am so unmotivated, we change it to, you are so unmotivated. So I don't know about you, but I know I would never say, you're so unmotivated to my child or to my partner or to my coworker. And it kind of makes me bristle a little. And I think, If my daughter said, mom, I'm so unmotivated. I have all this work I need to do. What would I say to her? What would I say to my friend? And then in the third column, I would change that to using my own name. Rachel is exhausted. Rachel has been working on this project for seven months and Rachel's a human being. So what should we do? Well, we could put this aside for a minute. We could go take a walk and come back to it. That's not going to be the end of the world, or we could break it down. So you basically, in your journal, you just make these three columns. You identify that self-limiting belief, starting with an I statement, transfer transfer over to it, starting with a you, you are, and then basically step back and give an impartial view of that situation, kind of like out of step back from yourself. And if you saw yourself struggling in that situation, what would you say? And, and just, it's so interesting to watch people walk through that and people who don't want to talk about these things out loud, like they've never admitted to themselves. I say this to myself all the time. They want to take the microphone and they want to stand up in front of everybody because it feels liberating to be able to say, this is what I say to myself. And I realize I'm hurting myself and it's not true. And then we think about where might this have come from? And I know I'm so unmotivated is a product of just how I was raised. My dad was a workaholic. My mom was a workaholic. And this is just, we expected ourselves to push even when we were tired and burnt out. And so I have to say, that was how the belief that I grew up with, but that's not my truth. I believe I am worthy of rest. I don't have to earn rest. And so then to kind of walk through that. So it's a, it's definitely a process and you get better at it as you do that. But writing it down seems to be really helpful for people. And that's actually, I outlined that in Soul Shift, my new book. Yeah, I think what's so powerful about doing that is you go from just accepting that uh-huh. that's just the way you think and actually realizing that that is your self-talk because it's yes. one thing to 
hear the voice in your head, then it's another to believe it and just accept it as it is on its face value. And I think when you have that breakthrough moment where you're like, oh, this is not actually what I think and feel. This is just an like an autonomous thought pattern that's in my head and I'm going to choose to break it or I'm going to choose to bring awareness to it. It can be really liberating. And I think this exercise, this three-pronged exercise is a really, really good one for people who have struggled to kind of separate themselves from their thoughts because it really does put you in that seat of, you know, what would you say to your friend? What would If you were your own best friend, what would you say? Because sometimes those, you know, meditations or or mental kind of exercises, they don't really work. I find sometimes like it's really hard to sit there and go, okay, if I was my best friend, what would I say? It's really hard to visualise that and remove yourself almost from you. But when you write it in that way, you're taking something that in your mind feels a part of you and and really kind of exposing it, right? You're exposing it for what it is and and ruling it down to what it's actually saying, which is really negative self-talk. And I think this is really, really powerful. Uh, And you you just remind me of something that was kind of enlightening to me was why mantras, standalone mantras, like I am enough, it doesn't work. It doesn't stick. Why? Because you haven't identified the self-limiting belief that then replaces that. So you can't just say, you know, I am enough and just feel like you can't believe that. So then, but walking through that and figuring out, oh, when I say this, I am inadequate. I'm going to disappoint people. And then you walk through, you know, changing that over to you are going to disappoint people. And then the third one is, you know what? I've grown up thinking that people's approval is what makes me worthy. But now I know differently. I know just showing up, just trying, the, that's my value. And it, it's it's what I want to embrace when I see in other people who who may not feel prepared or they may not know what they're doing, but they're trying. And so to be able to walk through that and to come to, I am enough because I'm showing up. It, it sticks better than just when you have it stand alone. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. And, and what I think is really liberating about all of this is you truly realize that all of these things you think you're not capable of, you're not worthy of, that you think are a byproduct of the world, everything around you, you realize the limit is seriously in your own mind. Like you literally place yourself in a box and create the parameters and then almost blame things around you for those limitations that you put yourself. So I think this is not only really powerful in giving you perspective, but actually almost like a bit of a wake up call to show you that you can set the the limitations on your own mind and and equally take control and charge and and expand them, which I think is something that a lot of people listening really, really uh, truly embrace. I want to just reverse for one moment back to you did bring up one thing which I found was interesting that a lot of people experience in the workplace, which is this feeling or belief uh, maybe it's just a belief that they don't belong. And mm-hmm. so let's just say you've, you've gone through this exercise, right? You, you've identified that that's the thought in your mind and you go through the exercise mm-hmm. and, and potentially you, you realize maybe that's a byproduct of things you experienced growing up, right? And now you're almost projecting that into your current situation. Mm-hmm. Just in this very specific niche example, how could you go from acknowledging, okay, this is a limiting belief I have, and this is why I'm so triggered by little things at work, 
How do you go from mm-hmm. that to then kind of embracing your work and your colleagues with the understanding that it was just you placing that belief? Because I think you go from one day, you know, thinking that the world is a certain way and people don't like you to then being like, oh, well, that was just all in my head. You know, how do you just yeah. sort of transition? Is, is it gradual? Do you have any practical tips? Because sometimes it's not a, an on and off switch. Do you know what oh, I mean? absolutely. Well, <clears throat> the woman who actually shared that with the group and she became very emotional um, because it's, it's painful when you, when you think that you don't belong. And so we first started with, what do you think the misconceptions are about you? And the problem was she was very, um, very work driven to the point that she had kind of isolated herself. Like she, people would go to lunch or they would do stuff socially. And so she would be working and would, would turn them down. So we, first we had her identify what, what are your strengths? What makes you a a wonderful person? And, and she said, well, I take my work very seriously. And I think that's a strength. And we all agreed with her. And then we said, you know, what's one thing that you might do to be open to maybe allowing there to be a little space for connection in your day. Um, whether it's, you know, even just setting out a little candy dish or something on your desk that is showing people you're open to connecting with them. Or this is scary if you if you haven't done it, but inviting someone to say, hey, on lunch break, I usually take a little walk. Would you like to go with me? And yes, you are exposing yourself to possible rejection. But if you stay where you are by yourself, all, you know, keeping keeping everything to yourself and feeling miserable, it's not going to change. So we talked about what are some ways that you might open up. And we said, we said, is there anybody in the workplace that you feel like maybe that person kind of understands how you feel because usually you're not the only one. And so maybe to reach out to them and begin to maybe cultivate some kind of friendship. And, and it's, it's a process and it's takes a lot of courage, but those little steps really do amount to something. And that's what in soul shift, I'm always talking about like, this is not overhauling your life and you're not going to change. You're not going to go from point A to point B, but to identify what is one small step, one small effort I can make today to get where I want to go, where I want to feel like I'm not such an outlier here at the office. And it's just, it's some people don't realize how critically they talk to themselves, which I think is important because some people might be saying, well, I don't do this to myself. But once you become aware of how often you do speak critically of yourself, that is a starting point in itself. Because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we don't realize how we talk to ourselves. So just even if that's your first step today to say, I'm going to pay attention to how I'm talking to myself and I also think it's important to bring up that sometimes we can't figure out the origin of that self-limiting belief. And it's okay if you say, I don't know where this came from. I don't, I don't know if someone conditioned me to believe this way or I internalized a judgment. But the, the thing to keep in mind is you 
are in control of how you speak to yourself now. So you might not know where that limiting belief that that once you realize that that comes up a lot for me, you might not be able to pinpoint. I don't know where this came from, but I know this is not how I want to speak to myself now. So then you begin that process of replacing it, replacing it with compassion. That's that's the key here is when you find yourself saying something critical to yourself, you say, gosh, do I really want to be against myself when I can be for myself? There's there's enough of that in the world. So why not we why not be for ourselves? And and mm-hmm. I find compassion and curiosity. When we address our feelings with compassion and curiosity, that is how we build ourselves up. And we do take those brave risks, like asking someone to take a walk with us when it feels scary. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's a really good call out because sometimes it feels really cumbersome to work out the origin and we can get you know, a little bit scattered or feel like we're not doing it right if we can't pinpoint it. And so I think that's a really important call out to just anyone listening. If they feel like, you know, they can kind of identify what what it is, don't be so hung up if you can't work out the origin. Just being aware and moving through it is is most of the job done, I'd say. Obviously, the, the origin gives you the context and helps you in your understanding. But if you're clear on it, you know, you can find a way to move through it and Another thing you said that I just want to reiterate is sometimes we don't realize that negative self-talk because it, you know, for, for a lot of us, it's been happening for years and years and years. It almost just feels like a part of us. We don't look at it or listen to it and think, oh, that's negative self-talk. We just think that's the way things are. And I think a good indicator, well, for me personally anyway, is to bounce off the emotions I'm feeling. So when a strong emotion comes up for me, whether it's self-doubt, whether it's anger, frustration, impatience, when those emotions come up, that is the prime time to, to listen and tune into what's in your mind. So if you've been listening and thinking, this is all really interesting, I don't really know when and how or if I have those thoughts, consider the moments you're emotionally heightened and tune in at that point. And I think that's a good way to to identify it. But Rachel, before I let you go, I do want to ask you about something in your book. I know you dive into eight life-enhancing truths and we're not going to give them all away on the show today. But if you had to pick one that you feel is most profound or maybe even your favorite, could you just share one of those uh, with the listeners? Mm-hmm. I think just to kind of go along with what our theme is here today, one of the practices is the practice of being kind to yourself. And a lot of that is becoming aware of the critical self-talk and then changing that, transforming that to a, a more self-compassionate inner dialogue. And so the truth, the healing truth in that practice is when we are kind to ourselves, we create peace. And it's not just peace within ourselves, but we actually create peace around us because maybe some of your listeners can relate, but when I was being self-critical, it spilled out and it contaminated my children, particularly my daughter, my oldest daughter. And so one of the triggers for me was seeing the pain on her face when I would be overreactive to, to little mistakes. And that was that trigger was actually a gift because I was able to say, wow, I'm causing pain to my child. I'm conditioning her to be afraid of making mistakes. And that is not how I want her to grow up. 
And so to be able to realize when I speak critically to myself, it affects how I speak to my daughter. And that was a motivator for me. And so over time, working through the things that we just talked about, I had a new healing truth was when we are kind to ourselves, we create peace. And I think really that is my favorite and probably the most transformative of all the practices that have She's 19 now, and we have a very close relationship, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I was aware of how my inner bully was bullying her. Yeah, I think that's really beautiful and a a profound one to end on as well because it also helps you put things into context when dealing with people. So sometimes you come across people who just hurt others. They say nasty things. They, you know, are critical on other people. And I think it's so easy to attach to that, you know, internalize that judgment and and take it for yourself. But when you realize that really hurt people hurt people, it, you not only have, I mean, this whole concept of course is about creating that inner peace and compassion for yourself. But I think a beautiful byproduct of that is the way you're able to extend that to others. And that doesn't mean you need to pity people. It's actually a really beautiful way for you to have empathy and for you to just personally kind of move, you know, when you kind of hear about those people who just are not faced by things, they move through life, they don't attach to things other people say or do. I think it comes from this place, right? Where you just understand that people project what they're internalizing um, and it just helps put things into context, not only for yourself, but for every, everyone else you encounter too. But um, I'm really excited to read the book. And on that note, where can we get a copy? Is it on Kindle? Is it online? Where's the best place we can go? I'll pop links in the show notes and any social media as well where people can follow you, let us know and I'll pop links too. Okay, perfect. So the easiest way to find everything you need is just to go to my website, which is handsfreemama.com. And it has my Facebook, my Instagram, all the book links. Um, But yeah, I just appreciate the support so much. (laughs) Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. I've learned a lot. I know the listeners have learned a lot. uh, And I really, really appreciate your time coming on the show today. Thank you for having me.